Today's episode of Grad School Confessional is brought to you by experience. Like licking a battery, sticking a fork in an electrical outlet, touching a hot stove just to see if it's really hot, or sticking your hand in a hole because you saw an animal run down it, experience is something that is best learned by watching others do it first. Did it hurt? Did it make you feel sad? Were there long-lasting consequences? Hmm. And you're sure you want to do grad school? You're listening to Grad School Confessional, a podcast that explores the good, bad, and ugly of graduate school, directly from graduate students themselves. I'm your host, Dr. Yoasway. From awkward supervisor interactions, to reviewer two horror stories, to convincing your parents why grad school was a good idea, we read out the confessions of graduate students from all over and chat about the realities of pursuing higher education. I'd like to welcome back my co-host and second-gen girlfriend, Anna. Anna is a PhD candidate studying digital health, a field where researchers ask, can you get an STD from phone sex? Surprisingly, yes, but it's very easy to prevent. Do explain. Wash your hands after you use the bathroom. We all know you're on your phone in there. But how is that phone sex? Use your imagination. Hmm. Yikes. Remind me to wash my soul after this. I'm also tremendously excited to introduce our guest host today, Michaela Kahn. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Michaela is doing her PhD at the University of British Columbia, where she studies clinical biomechanics, a field where researchers ask, should your arm actually be bent that way? Bent which way? Oh, like this. That's your arm? (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I guess you could say this is alarming. (laughs) Anyway, Michaela, I'm so pumped to have you here on today's show as our guest host for today's episode. Last week, we chatted with Roberta about first-gen academics and the struggles and challenges they face pursuing the academic path. This week, we're chatting about second-gen academics and the unique experiences they have whilst in their academic training. Unlike a lot of our episodes, this is one where we probably won't have any stories about convincing your parents that grad school was a good idea. Michaela, why don't we start with who else in your family has completed grad school and sort of maybe how that's influenced your academic journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we'll start with my dad. So he has his PhD in kinesiology and is now a provost and VP academic at a university in Ontario. Um, My mom didn't do grad school, but she has two undergrads, one in physical education and the other in child studies. Um, And then my sister is currently doing her master's in neurophysiology. And then outside of all of that, my aunts and uncles on both sides are either currently teachers or principals or have taught something somewhere at some point. Wow. Wow. So a very educated family. It's a very stacked field. (laughs) I know, right? So it's like, imagine just one of them being like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't do university. I think we got enough of that. We got that figured out. (laughs) Um, I wanted to ask, you said your dad was a provost and I got to be honest, I don't really know what that means. I don't either. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. Cool. (laughs) On next week's show, we're going to have Michaela's dad on. He's going to tell us what a provost does. We can get a soundbite. <laughs> I hope he knows. <laughs> yeah. So where does he currently work then? Uh, so he's at Trent University in Peterborough in Ontario. Right, right. And before that, I remember you telling me he was somewhere else, right? Yeah. So he was the Dean of Human Kinetics at Windsor. Okay. Okay. So he obviously has a lot of experience in a very, so a lot of roles, I guess, at the university. Um, was your dad a first-gen academic himself? 
Yeah, he was. Um, so my grandfather, so my dad's dad did go to university, but he actually mm-hmm. had to hitchhike from Trinidad, which is like a tiny island in the Caribbean, to Regina, Saskatchewan to go what? to university because that was the cheapest tuition in North America. So yeah, he had to like get on a boat and then landed in Montreal or something and then had to find his way across Canada. And that yeah. was just what he had to do at the time. That's incredible. Also, you said... I needed to, he needed to take a boat from Trinidad to, and then I thought you were going to say Saskatchewan. I'm like, so this boat has uh, wheels then. <laughs> <laughs> Landlocked Saskatchewan, just like the prairies. No, no, no. Back in the day, Saskatchewan was actually submerged under the water. <laughs> there was a story though. Like he didn't know where Regina was. Like he pretty much just mm-hmm. landed and like had no idea what to do next. So he yeah. was going around like asking people, how do you get to Regina? And they were like, who is this guy? Like, random guy from the caribbean <laughs> what is reginald? he doing here <laughs> reginald have you heard of it <laughs> that's incredible that's actually such a very cool like uh origin story yeah origin story i think it's really neat and so so with your dad being uh of you know a first-gen academic and then kind of finding his own path how do you feel that that's influenced your experience with schooling yeah massively um even like when i was growing up I think I'm one of the few grad students who knew they wanted to do a PhD all along. Like a few Mm -hmm. years ago, I found, you know, those things you write in grade school, like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to get my PhD and become a professor. (laughs) (laughs) Like not the usual, like I want to be a dancer or like a firefighter. Um, I don't know if I knew what it was, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I, I literally think I found out about a PhD in undergrad. Like the fact that you could even be a professor and that was a separate thing from just going to teacher's college and then just deciding to teach university. Yeah. No, I was, we were, when we were making the script, I had this like flashback of a memory of going to undergrad and seeing all my professors. And like, I had this assumption that in order to become a professor, you needed to be born in Canada. Like, you know how it works for American presidents. (laughs) And so I was sitting in my classes and I was like, I'll never get a PhD. Well, I wasn't born here. Like, doesn't seem fair, but I guess that's just how Canadians roll. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) And reflecting on it now, considering how many international PhDs there are, you know, particularly in Canada, I'm sure at UBC especially, it's kind of a a funny thing to think about, right? That like all of these people wouldn't be here if that was a thing. Yeah, but I wasn't like, I wasn't going up to my professors and being like, where were you born? (laughs) I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. Although, you know, being kin myself, Michaela, um, all of my professors are white. So I just kind of assume that like everyone is from here. That is true. We were a very white dominated department. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I guess now that you are in your PhD and you said you're second year, right? Yeah, going into my third. So like, how do you feel now as going to your, you know, third year, the second year PhD, where has your dad kind of had the most influence, right? Or it's kind of supported you the most? Yeah, good question. I would say it was so helpful when I was actually applying to graduate school. So after mm-hmm. undergrad, just trying to navigate that process. Um, mm-hmm. So my parents did help me financially through my undergrad, which I'm extremely thankful for. But I knew like well ahead of time that I was going to be on, on my own for any additional mm-hmm. degrees. So the biggest thing that I was 
really encouraged to apply for scholarships really, mm. really early because I knew I was going to be like cut off. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, <laughs> and I knew graduate school was going to be expensive, so I needed to find all these different sources of trying to fund myself on my own. So even though I didn't get everything I applied for, it put me in the mindset to just like keep trying and persevering through failures. So yeah, I think I definitely. was really fortunate to like learn that very, very early. And I think one of the things too that you're bringing up is that, you know, given that your dad is in a, you know, a similar field, but also in the same country, I'm sure he had an idea for like what grants were available and what scholarships were even available that you would be competitive for or you should apply for. And I feel like, you know, maybe Anna, you can speak to this too, but I know a lot of grad students coming in don't know about the fact that you kind of have to apply for scholarship immediately after you start because the deadline's in October and you start in September. Yeah, no, the deadlines are ridiculously early. Yeah. I'm doing like a peer support thing for incoming students who are just starting out their like master's programs or their doctoral programs. And a lot of these students are international students. So they're navigating coming to Canada and like trying to find a place to live mm -hmm. during a pandemic, starting a new program. And at the same time, they're like, my supervisor just told me there's the scholarship I can apply for, but the deadline is in like two weeks. I'm yeah. like, okay, yeah. like all hands <laughs> on deck. Let's get you that bread. But no, I don't. Okay. Personally, I don't understand why deadlines are so early on. The one that really got me was um, CGSM for master's. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The that national one is grant, yeah. so early. Like I think it might be, so you start your fourth year in, or fourth, fifth, whatever you're doing, uh, your final year in September. It's due mm -hmm. in like November or December. Yeah. And that just like took me so much by surprise. And at that point, yeah. No, I was going to say, Michaela, I'm going to interrupt you there. Postdoctoral funding is due the third week of September. Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just like coming off the summer, you like spend the entire summer writing and submitting stuff and you're in a daze. You're like, oh, what? I have to propose a new research idea. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it can be rough. Yeah. It can be rough. Um, any downsides, would you say, about having a parent in academia? Um, sometimes I feel like I don't know much about the outside world, like other jobs <laughs> <laughs> that I maybe should have considered. Um, it's funny, you know, when you like write a lay summary for your work and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, get your parents or like grandparents to read it to make sure like everyone can understand <laughs> it. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. My supervisor has to like say specifically, do not have your parents read it because <laughs> <laughs> it won't be helpful. Um, otherwise, not too many downsides. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually really interesting insight. I think as we go through and we read some of our stories, we're going to hear a lot of the same stuff come up. Um, and our first story comes from a second-gen grad student who reminisces about their confusion in their parent being a quote-unquote doctor and how important their introduction to research was. They write, As a young child, I knew that my father was doing something called research and he was a doctor, but I remember being confused because he would be on the computer all day and did not wear a white coat. It was early on when I realized the distinction between the different types of doctors and what it entailed. I think knowing about academia from an early age and the importance of research definitely played a role in me pursuing this path years later. There was always an emphasis on the importance of looking at the literature as well as questioning the facts. My father and I are doing completely different fields of research, which also has been interesting because although we have an understanding of general research methods, the variations between fields remains an area of constant discussion. 
Okay, I feel like it's a major ripoff that we don't get a white coat. Yeah, yeah. seriously, we just get that funny looking one at graduation, but, but they you cost return it. Yeah, or you pay thousands of dollars for it. And oh it's like, come God. on, I know what PhD graduating has thousands of dollars to spend on a gown yeah. and hat. Uh, exactly. <laughs> like, what am I gonna use it for later? You can't even use it job for- interviews. <laughs> just show up. I was gonna say role play, but <laughs> it's just both of us in these robes. <laughs> I thought today was my day. <laughs> Oh, but you know, in Finland, they give you a a top hat and a sword, which, you know, seems infinitely more practical to me. Oh, I would love a sword. Yeah. I mean, you know. Home invasion? Sword. (laughs) Yeah. But here's the thing, though. You know how you're, you know, quote unquote, supposed to go through proper training in order to, like, learn how to use a firearm in the States? I feel like if they're going to give you a sword, they at least have to do something similar. Like, your basic footwork. You know, your basic sort of stance. Like go through the parries. Yeah. No, no, no. It sounds yeah. like a mo- like a script for a really bad movie. You have a home invasion. And it's like, I'm a doctor. And they pull out a sword. And they're like, haha, but your wife is unarmed. And then the woman is just like, surprise, I also have a doctorate. <laughs> it's like a broad sword. I am a critical feminist scholar. <laughs> it's like Braveheart, but like way lamer. Yeah. They're both pale. They're just like super weak. They spend all the time in front of a computer. Yeah. I don't know. Because you do clinical work, so you must wear a white coat sometimes. I wear a a coat to teach because I teach in the anatomy lab. So See, Michaela gets to be a real doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Michaela gets to look like a real doctor. Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) I do actually teach medical students, and everybody assumes I am also like a medical student or a doctor. And then I tell them I'm doing my PhD, and they're like, oh, not that doctor. (laughs) Oh, I see. You can just see on their face, like suddenly, like... All the respect that they had built up for you is kind of just like, oh, we're going to shelf that now. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we thought you were much cooler. We thought you were a real doctor, a proper doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Someone has like an allergic reaction in your class. You're like, I don't know, I'm a PhD. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. It's like when you're on an airplane and there's like, there's an emergency, any doctors? And you're like, I'm a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a meme or a tweet that went around. It was like, um, someone's having an emergency on a plane. Like, it's her doctor. It's like, sorry, no, I'm just a PhD. It's like, this man has a conference presentation due in like seven minutes. And it's <laughs> and the abstract is 50 words over. It's like, my time to shine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's exactly where I shine. Oh, I wanted to ask you, what was your experience with research as a child? Yeah, so my experience started really kind of early and a little bit unknowingly. So I found out fairly recently that my parents actually sent me to like a research preschool. So it was basically (laughs) like a child education pilot study that started in like the late 1980s. Um, I do not remember consenting for them to use my data at all. (laughs) 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 I did like a little like, like fingerprint, like consent (laughs) or something. Actually, but you're kidding. No, I don't know. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> like, that's so cool. Like, a turkey, like, hand. You just yeah. drop a turkey and it's like, that's your consent. It's <laughs> informed consent. <laughs> I don't think I could hold a pencil at that point. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but what when I found out, I was like, oh, it's so on brand for my parents. Um, I think the program was like, so there was a teacher and a couple kids and then like they observed the interaction and I think some part of it was videoed and then there's a facilitator and they go over 
like your behavior with the researcher and <laughs> okay were there any red flags <laughs> i would love results? to know yeah where's my data <laughs> yeah it was informed consent you have access to the data right maybe <laughs> i know i should look in i don't know how this didn't like i didn't put two and two because i knew my preschool was called the child study center but I thought that was completely <laughs> normal. I thought I that like, every oh. school was a study center. We all yeah. study. Did you study there, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> my mind was blown. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's super interesting. I'd like, I guess free daycare would be the incentive for your parents. Because like, there's got to be some incentive for doing this, right? Oh, absolutely. I was born when my dad was like literally completing his PhD. So like we yeah. had no money for childcare. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Sign up sense. for a research study. Yeah. yeah. And she goes. <laughs> She'll be fine. Do you want to know her results? No, no, no. It's fine. It's okay. Can we drop her off here again, like next week? Yeah, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Do you have any more studies? <laughs> Do you have any more studies? <laughs> I mean, you laugh and say that, but like I did participate in a lot of studies growing up. Oh, man. That's actually so funny. Uh, dude. If I think if more people knew about the, the fact that they could get free childcare just by putting their kids through experiments and study, Way more people would do it, I promise you. Okay, but they're not like experiments. It's not You like, don't know that. Michaela doesn't remember. I don't remember. Repress memories. Maybe they wiped your memory. Yeah. <laughs> it's just little kids in like a skinner box. Oh my god. Okay, now I'm worried. Skittle, just skittle. <laughs> it's just Michaela there pressing the lever for the skittle. <laughs> Do you like skills, Michaela? Is there a food that you just <laughs> that really... I really love? And like, I hear a bell, and I'm like, oh, what about this? <laughs> like chicken nuggets. <laughs> oh man! Every time the church bell goes up, I mean, I could really use some chicken nuggets right now. Um, uh, yeah, but I think you're out right of a good point. Like, I think a lot of kids who have their parents as academics, you know, or in the field, they get a sense for research so much sooner, you know, um, and like. Again, the fact that you knew that you wanted to do a PhD from such an early age. <laughs> I'm sorry again. You're like, the kids know that they want to do research. I'm like, they don't know. They didn't know what's going on. I just, it's so great. <laughs> yeah, these kids just want to do research. Look at them. They're so happy. They're just like, got an EEG cap on their head. Just like. They're probing them. Oh man. Okay. This this story's a mess. <laughs> All right. I'm actually crying. <laughs> All right. We're gonna move on here. I didn't think I would be so funny, but it's just there's so many scenarios. Gather yourself, woman. No, because I actually took a developmental um, psych class, and as part like the final summative assignment. Uh, U of T also had a daycare associated with it. So we had to like go and watch kids play outside and like count instances of like antisocial behavior. Oh <laughs> That's what it was. That's what I did. Antisocial behavior <laughs> over here. It was a lot. Really? I mean, they're like three and four. They're kids are not nice at that age. Yeah, no, no, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you remember I mentioned before my one of my mom's degrees is in child studies. Yeah. So I hope that she got, oh you know, my God, there was she got her purpose. undergrad through your study. <laughs> that was her final that was her final project. Just like my daughter, a case study. <laughs> I know. Where's the book? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Our next confession is from a grad student that recalls a moment during their PhD where their aspirations were questioned and shaken. But their parent, a seasoned academic, was able to talk them through it. 
they write, The planning, the research questions, and my aspirations for study design were all entangled into my reason for pursuing a PhD, and that was all brought to an abrupt end after my first advisory committee meeting. I was told my planning was too lofty, or too ambitious, and it couldn't be done. And I believed it, because they were the experts after all. That moment could have extinguished my doctoral dreams, but my mom, who has navigated those academic storms, provided valuable perspective. She encouraged me to have conviction for my aspirations and helped me realize that to do this effectively, I would need to be able to convey my aspirations thoughtfully and clearly with courage and accountability. If it weren't for my mom's guidance, I would have been submissive to my advisory committee's critique rather than taking ownership over my education and research. This was a pivotal point in my graduate education, and she continued to help me see a sense of possibility rather than being suppressed by the academic context. She encouraged me to pursue research that I valued and was excited about because the quality of research would be an obvious byproduct rather than falling into a culture that prioritizes quantity of publications. This approach has fueled motivation and sustained my curiosity to continue to explore and share the concepts that drew me towards research. Yeah, I think this story really highlights how having an academic advisor in-house is super key. I love this story. I love like the partnership between yeah, the parent and kid, like it's just so beautiful yeah. and lovely. Did you have, do you feel like you had something similar going through a very similar field? Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of like lessons and traits and qualities that were pretty valuable that I got to learn from my dad and both my parents actually. <laughs> so I think perseverance has probably been a really big one. Like I don't love failing. It was a hard pill to swallow, like realizing that I would mm -hmm. fail a lot in graduate school. Yeah. And rejection too happens yeah. a lot huge huge um but my dad like whenever i would go to him and say like look i'm really struggling with this and especially writing uh my dad always yeah. reminds me that he like straight up failed english in high school wow like, i'm spanish too like all the languages yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like on the 10th draft of his master's thesis his supervisor was like yeah it's a good start and my dad was like what <laughs> Wow. I yeah, I would just set it on fire and give it up. <laughs> wow, 10 drafts. Yeah, so he had to work really, really hard on his language skills. And mm -hmm. it really helps me to remember that everything's a process. Um, mm. And it really helped me like develop a thick skin for people editing my work. So in undergrad, I was like really scared for people to read my work in case it wasn't yeah. good. But now in grad school, I just want people to like rip my work apart and be so ruthless. Yeah. Like tell me everything that's wrong with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I, I mean, to be honest, I think there's a balance in there too, right? Like not just about like, I want you to rip my work apart, but also like, you know, be critical of it and like, you know, to help me get better. And it's kind of that really good attitude of, you know, everything's a learning opportunity and, you know, it's called training for a reason right? Like we were being trained to be better at this job, this career. Yeah. Um, I think you get to a sweet spot though, where you're like, you get to a sweet spot where you give your work in and people provide feedback and you get it back and you're like this and this, but then you're confident enough in your academic voice and in your like technical skills and conceptual skills that you're like, not that. Mm -hmm. And you start to like actually sift through the feedback. Cause I know like, I went through that with my writing mm -hmm. where my supervisor was just like everything in red. And I was like, well, <laughs> I guess we'll just write it how you want to write it. And then sometimes like now with my thesis, like there's certain turns of phrase or there's certain sentences that I will like, this is my hill and I'm willing to die on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this stays in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, uh, you know, it's, 
it really speaks to this like partnership that needs to happen, you know, just, but not just between you and your supervisor, but, you know, if you have a parent that I think can help you kind of establish your own voice and your own sort of identity within academia, that's so helpful. Cause like, I know definitely going through this and trying to even decide whether my postdoc work wanted to be the same as the work I did in my PhD and who to contact about it. You know, my supervisor definitely was, was helpful, but it's not as if I had someone else who was like, well, you know, what do you want to do? What is it that brings you this sort of passion about research? And I think one of the really important things that this story highlights is just that these traits that this person mentions of conviction and courage and passion, these aren't often these really sort of standard things you get with a supervisory experience necessarily, right? It's really variable. And a lot of the times these are those soft skills or those qualities that a parent can really help instill in you. I totally agree. Like courage and passion. Sometimes we have to make some really big decisions as a graduate student. And yeah, just being brave enough to do what you love and follow the path you want is huge. And I remember like my dad always used to tell me the story. His undergrad was actually in geophysics. So very, very far away from kinesiology. Um, and after he did his undergrad, mm -hmm. hated it. Rocks move too slow, according to him. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he had to be brave enough to, yeah, not like throw away, but move away from four years of training to pursue something different. Yeah. And that was a really scary big decision at the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think my attitude about this has changed too. Like I remember we, Anna and I had this conversation in my third year where I was like, you know, being a year and a half ahead of her, I was just like, hey, you know, really think about what you want to do with your PhD because that's going to kind of set the tone for your postdoc. And, you know, if you want to pursue something and then like literally a year later, I'm like, I'm going to do something else. <laughs> you know, but, but, right? but the funny thing was, it's like, yeah, my, my supervisor is kind of uh, of the same uh, mentality of like what you do in your PhD, that's the research program you're going to carry through for the rest of your career. And then COVID happened. And the research that she did and the research that I was doing couldn't be done anymore, right? And so both of us pivoted and suddenly we were doing research that was like kind of adjacent, but was completely different in nature and was very uh, digital. Mm -hmm. Like it was no longer this face-to-face. -face. It was looking at social media. It was looking at websites, looking at all this stuff. My view now is you learn skills in your PhD and then you mm -hmm. apply it to like whatever field that you want to. Yeah. Also absolutely. like you can't expect somebody to stay excited about like this very specific sliver of <laughs> research for the rest of their career. Yeah. Yeah. So Mikhail, do you feel like your current academic path and the way that you kind of trajectory you want that to go, you know, has that continued to be influenced by your dad uh, or your, your mom even and is there anything that you've like they've actively encouraged or discouraged from you doing or is it kind of just been like they kind of leave you alone? Yeah, it's a good question. I think like seeing my dad go through the process because I was born during his PhD. So like I don't remember a lot of that, but I remember his like first professor job and then getting promoted to like full professor and then head of school mm -hmm. while we were living in the UK and then coming here and then dean and now provost like seeing that progression has been really interesting and i haven't decided if i do want to go into admin but i know he will be there to answer questions that i have if yeah. if it comes about but there's no real pressure on you to like actually go into anything yeah. no like i definitely there was full autonomy growing up 
I just, mm-hmm. again, knew I wanted to be a professor. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I don't know if I knew what it was, but. So you mentioned, I remember you mentioned before that your you know granddad was like basically boated here from Trinidad and obviously, you know, was went to Saskatchewan because the tuition was the lowest and kind of, you know, within our own experience, we know that grad school isn't the most lucrative career. I'm wondering if that was kind of, you know, made salient to you growing up. Yeah, you can say that again, um, even louder for the people in the back. (laughs) Yeah, so I know on this podcast, you've talked a lot about like the challenge of even finding jobs um, Mm -hmm. after graduating. And sometimes it means like not just having to move cities, but also countries. Mm -hmm. So I think I said earlier that like I was, my sister and I were born when my dad was still in his PhD, not earning a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And after he finished the job he got was in Wales in the UK. So that meant my entire family had to move like to a different continent when I was four and my sister was one. And the first few years of that, yeah, they were super hard, like trying to navigate a new country, new healthcare systems. We were so far away from family, Um, like no childcare, no research childcare for (laughs) for us there. (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I went straight into school and had to learn a new language that my parents couldn't help me with and like we didn't yeah wait what is the language spoken in Wales Wales. it's Welsh oh Oh, yeah I thought they were I thought that was a a, I was like like, dialect of English I wanted to say like Michaela I know they speak with an accent but (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't call it another language (laughs) (laughs) oh no it's a different language Welsh today I try. I'm not as good as I used to be. Um, yeah. But it like the first couple of years of school in Wales is 75% Welsh and 25% English. So I'm bringing home this homework that's in like a literal foreign language. And my parents are like, well, <laughs> like can't help you. <laughs> <That's so lucky>. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so ironic because it's like, I feel like at, when you're a parent, the homework you normally can help your kids with is the stuff right at the beginning. Yeah. And for your parents, it's like, yeah, wait till you get to your uh, doctorate, then I'll be able to help you out. Exactly, exactly. So hard. And yeah, like we were honestly, didn't have a lot of money. Like Britain's mm-hmm. a super expensive place. And my dad was still drowning in student debt, two mm-hmm. young kids, wife, um, but it's funny we bring up Welsh because my grade school motto, and I will speak in Welsh just for a sec, it was Gwell Disc na Golid, and that translates to better educated than wealthy. Hmm. And that was definitely true for a long time in my family. Like it took like a that. long time. Okay, that's a very weird motto to have for a grade school. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, they're like five years old. You're like, better educated than wealthy. They're like, okay, <laughs> sure. Better smart than well-fed, but I get what you're saying. Basically, what we're saying is we're going through budget cuts. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Welsh was a dying language. <laughs> Yeah, there was no pressure to like go to graduate school or anything like that. Um, Like my grandfather always said growing up, do whatever job you want to do as long as you love it and you try and be the best you can. I just had this thought because you were like, I knew I wanted to be a professor from like an early age. I was like, you should have tried to get authorship on that study they did with you guys. (laughs) I know, I know, so many missed opportunities. (laughs) Yeah, what's the like earliest age of publication? That would be pretty cool. I don't think there is a minimum age. 
You just need to be affiliated with the university. <laughs> I don't know. There's like those genius kids that speak like seven languages yeah, when they're four years right? old. And there's like yeah, this like yeah, – Sorry. Didn't like Beyonce and Jay-Z put their daughter on like one of their tracks and now she is like the youngest nominated artist or something like that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Like speaking of nepotism, okay? Like it's definitely that. Hey, you can't avoid that if your parents are Beyonce and Jay-Z. <laughs> I mean, I guess. At that point, you're just like, well, my life is solved. Okay, but here's my thing, okay? I'm not saying that, okay, you, Jay-Z and Beyonce can't put their kid onto a track. I'm just saying, are they more talented than me? Yes. Well, I, okay. All right, fair. Okay, like so 100%. I'm, okay, I just want to know. <laughs> not salty. Our last story is told by a second-gen academic who found they had to negotiate boundaries with their academic parent while doing their PhD. They write, I am a second-generation PhD. Growing up, I loved school and was encouraged to explore ideas, classes, and educational opportunities. Because of my dad, I grew up wanting to do a PhD. I didn't know what I wanted to study, but the notion of having years to explore a topic, be curious, and learn was something I learned was possible from him. Despite taking very dissimilar paths to get there, I ended up in a health field quite similar to his. However, we do have different approaches to science and understanding change in health. Mine, qualitative and community-based. His, quantitative, rigorous, and focused on human physiology, psychology, and biomedical causation of health. Is one of us right? No. But throughout my PhD, particularly during the years of self-doubt, having a parent who had conviction in their academic approach and breathed academia was tough. Sometimes, calling home, I wanted to talk to dad, not Professor X. I wanted to hear that I was amazing and smart and that I would figure it out, as opposed to someone that challenged my methods or offered advice that was constructive but annoying to hear. Much like all things, honesty and communication made things better, and once I talked to my dad about these boundaries, about how sometimes I needed a dad, it flicked a switch in our relationship. And funny enough, once we had this conversation, I was less defensive and more open to the idea of him supporting me academically too. It took time, but we struck a balance where I could lean on him and also find my own academic voice. I think he learned a lot from seeing more intimately what it is like being a student too. He said he is more empathetic as a supervisor because of our experience and is more open to alternative ways of knowing. During the final few years of my PhD, I leaned on him for conversations that I was lacking with my actual advisory committee. I have a fond memory of sitting across from him at a coffee shop, sharing my table of contents for my thesis. We sipped coffee and chatted, as equal academics, about my work. Different approaches, but with mutual respect. In doing so, I also appreciated his work more and realized the amount of effort he puts into his research and students. It was humbling. I know this is not something many people will be able to experience, but it was a cool way to connect with both my dad and Professor X. Okay, I just want to say, yeah, I would totally want to talk to Professor X <laughs> rather than my dad. I don't think she's referring to actually Professor X. Okay, but we don't know. It's anonymous. Maybe her dad is Professor X. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's fair. But yeah, boundaries with parents. I mean, like, Michaela, you were already kind of mentioning this a little bit, but, you know, when you're in the same field, when you're in the same job, I'm sure with as with any job, you know, when they give you advice as a parent, when they give you advice as like the academic, have you ever had to navigate those those boundaries? Yeah, I love in this story, like the communication that this person had with their dad, like saying, this is what I need you for right now. 
And I learned a couple years ago, kind of a fun saying, um, and it's help or hug. So when somebody comes to you with something, you ask, you just ask like, hey, do you need help with this or do you yeah. need a hug? Oh, and I like, really like sometimes, that. yeah, it's been really useful because sometimes I'll go to my parents and be like, I don't need help with this. I'll figure it out. But like, I need a hug right now. <laughs> like things yeah. are not great. And I just need like a pat on the back or something. But having that open line of communication with your parent is awesome. Yeah. I, you know, I love that. I actually think that works with just more than, you know, sort of parent-child relationships. I think that could work for us. Don't try it. Do you need help or a hug? I need neither. <laughs> I need you to stop touching me. Okay. I'll, but I really do like that. I think that that's really, that's really cool. And like being able to, to explicitly say, hey, this is what I want from you right now. This is what I need from you right now. I have a question. Did you ever, like, were you ever in an academic environment with your dad, like in a class or something? <laughs> Where you're like, oh, I can't let him find out that this is how I am at like in class. I just sleep. Um, maybe not in the same class, but because we're both in kinesiology, there has been a bunch of crossover. And we also did our master's degree at the same university. And because like a lot of the professors at that university are They've been there for a while. So a lot of them taught my dad and then taught me a generation later. Wow. So that was really odd to navigate. Um, I don't know if I look particularly like my dad, but we yeah. have very, very similar names. And some were like, oh, are you like this person's daughter? I'm like, who? No, what? Because <laughs> <I mean, laughs> at some point I was really scared of telling people because I didn't want them like to think, oh, you're just here because of nepotism or... Like I wanted to pave my own way and <laughs> be independent. Yeah. So it's really interesting you bring that up. And I'd like to dig a little deeper if that's okay. This idea that as much as it is helpful that your parent can kind of pave the road for you, sometimes it's kind of a path that you want to carve out for yourself, you know? And like, how have you found that to be kind of just trying to navigate that? Yeah, exactly. I know like in my first year, I was really nervous about telling people, um, like, I would just say, like, oh, my dad works at a university. And then they'll be yeah. like, oh, well, what does he do? And then I'll be like, oh, he's a professor. Well, what in? Like, kinesiology. Oh, your dad, like, you must know all the... And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you could have just said I'm... provost. There'd be no more questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's that? Oh, I don't know. Just leave it alone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as I moved through university, um, it, it was sometimes beneficial for me for networking as well to say, like oh yeah, like we have some mutual friends, like we know these people. And then, yeah, it was mm. a nice connection to have with the professor sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Like I wonder too, and this is kind of more, uh, maybe a broader thing that you, I'd love your insight on, but a lot of the things we've talked about are these advantages or kind of just these, you know, helpful tips and support that as a second gen student, you seem to be able to leverage because your parents, you know, have gone through it and they're or still in it. And I wonder do you see a way that some of those same advantages and those same experiences can be conferred to these maybe first-gen academics or potential academics? Yeah, for sure. That's a good question. Um, I think, like, aside from my parents helping me, like, sometimes editing my papers and all those, <laughs> like, you know, skills that had yeah. more of a that they knew how to do because they had that skill set themselves. I think one of the most important things they taught me is like how to seek help. So you're having this problem, like go see your grad school advisor, go see, 
you know, like you need help with your writing, go to the writing center. So I'd really encourage all the first gen students to like find out who to talk to just like, even if you're bumped around emails for like a week, Mm -hmm. like, oh no, this person, no, oh, this person, like use all the resources that are available to them because universities have so much to offer. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times these services, people don't use them as much as perhaps they should because I've gotten so much help over the years. So much help. Do you feel like sort of your use of these resources has kind of been informed by the fact that your parents were like, hey, this is useful. You should use this. I think so because like they remember being broke students and (laughs) like, Oh my gosh, the therapy bill I would have racked up going through university had I not had access to like mental health counseling (laughs) through my graduate school. (laughs) But yeah, as soon as I went to them, like, I need counseling. Oh yeah, go, your university has counseling services, like go seek them out. And they're low cost or free. So like, because my parents had used them themselves, they knew kind of where to direct me. Yeah. And I mean, especially since, you know, you guys went to the same university (laughs) or your dad went to the same university. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm actually a third generation student at that university. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I don't know if my kids will have any choice. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, it's just like built into the legacy, you know, like you have to go. Yeah. There's actually a picture of my dad, like at the gym at the university that we went to. And so like yeah. every time I go to the gym, I'd like, oh, my dad's like literally watching over me. In my <laughs> wow. Okay. That's so sweet. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was nice. And like, I'd walk past like trophies that he'd won um, in the kin building. And like, it always felt like a safe place for me. Wow, that's actually like a super cool experience. That's really sweet. Well, I I actually have a question. So we talked a lot about, you know, being in in sort of the university setting. But I wonder too, did you ever go to a conference with your dad or like be at the same conference? Yeah. (laughs) So in the final year of my master's, um, we had like an internal kinesiology research conference. And guess who was the keynote speaker? My (laughs) father. (laughs) And (laughs) I told him, please do not draw attention to the fact that I'm your daughter. And he's like, no, 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 don't even worry. I'll I'll act like you're not there. Like, I'm a professional. I've got this. (laughs) Within the first 30 seconds of his presentation, he said, yeah, my daughter goes here and points right at me. Oh, (laughs) oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and all your friends are just like they just move one chair away <laughs> yeah there's just like the parting of the waves i was gonna say the next step is getting outed at an international conference yeah oh gosh yeah that hasn't happened yet <laughs> but who knows second generation academics are offered the unique perspective of the scholarly route from a young age oftentimes this leads to advantages in the form of networking experience and advice but can also present unique challenges and interpersonal conflicts with parents. Importantly, how these advantages are paid forward to a new generation of potential grad students and scholars is essential for supporting the equity, inclusion, and belonging in the academy. You've been listening to Grad School Confessional. I'm Dr. Yoasway. Special thanks again to my co-host, Anna, and our guest host, Michaela. Michaela, just as we end our research papers, do you have any final acknowledgements or conflicts of interest you'd like to disclose today? Oh, conflict of interest? Yeah, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> We're not paying you, Michaela. You're here of your own volition. We don't have money. That is true. <laughs> we don't have parents in academia. <laughs>
Oh, no, but thank you guys so much for having me. You guys are awesome. And I just also want to give a heartfelt thank you to my family for teaching me to always prioritize happiness over everything, including academia. Aw, <laughs> happiness first. <laughs> if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes so that others can benefit from our mediocre advice. Please also share us with your social network and follow us on Twitter at GSConfessional. And if you have a confession you'd like to make, please use the anonymous link in the description or email thegradschoolconfessional at gmail.com. We're waiting for your funny, interesting, or controversial confessions. Until next time, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Principal Investigator, Amen. Amen. <laughs>